This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal. My guest today is Kailing Shen, who is an associate professor in economics at Australian National University. Today we are going to talk about her paper, What happens when employers can no longer discriminate in job ads, which is joined with Peter Kuhn. The paper was published in the American Economic Review in 2023. Kailing, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So, Kailing, in, in Western countries, you say that it is not common to see a job ad explicitly asking for applicants of a particular gender. That would be, for instance, saying, we are looking for <clears throat> female applicants for a new air hostess vacancy, say. So you say that over the last uh, 50 years, this type of explicitly gender job ads have been banned in, say, the US or Europe. I wanted to ask you why that is the case. What is the problem with asking for applicants that meet whatever requirements an employer may think that uh, it has for a particular job? And why have this type of ads been banned? Employers ask uh, all kinds of requirements when they trying to recruit, uh, including education, experience, certification, education. But in terms of the gender or similar cases like race, is considered to be discrimination um, in the most developed economies. And firms would face uh, severe consequences, legal consequences, if they put a gender requirement on their postings. I mean, this is just a, a discrimination. I am going to give you, I'm not saying, of course, that I disagree with you, but just, you know, to be a bit of a devil's advocate, I'm going to give you what I think is like a, a, a bit of an extreme example. So imagine that I am like a fashion company and I'm looking for models for my new collection. Typically, I'm going to have either, you know, clothes that are designed and marketed for women or for men, I'm going to need models for my, you know, like to display my collection that have, let's say, body types that fit the clothes that I have designed. Why could I not say, you know, we have a new uh, collection for female clothes. We need female models as opposed to male models. Why cannot, you know, you can call it discrimination, but the flip side will be that I need need workers that have a particular type of body or, you know, uh, a particular gender. What will be wrong with that? This specific case um, in terms of a female clothes model, from my perspective, I would say it seems to make some sense. But what we are looking at is not this kind of extreme case. We are looking at jobs like a front desk uh, or uh, HR or um, a blue collar worker. Um, these are the spectrum of jobs on the market. So I would imagine uh, different jobs has all kinds of requirements, just like uh, not everyone is qualified to be a pilot. There are requirements there, but 
normally I won't think it's an arguably only um, uh, one gender can fit that job. That is kind of a stereotype. It have a, a efficiency consequences, and it's also not fair. And people, like employers, if they limit their search to a specific group of the potential candidates pools, uh, they would face the consequences, um, like higher wages they have to pay and uh, less able people was hired. So um, this is uh, from a efficiency point of view. And also it's not fair, like job is uh, related to people's decency, right? Instead of getting paid through the welfare system, being able to work and contribute and be rewarded, it's, uh, it's related to the fundamental uh, human rights, I would consider. In, in this paper, you study this type of uh, job ad that, you know, have like this type of gender requirements and then stop having this type of gender requirements. I wanted to ask you prior to your paper, what did we know about the reasons and consequences of uh, having this type of job ads that have explicit gender requests? So this paper is uh, the latest of a uh, set of studies that I have been working with my co-author, Professor Peter Kuhn. We started this journey back in 2009. Our first paper was published in Quarterly Journal of Economics. And before that, before we look at the job postings, the gender requirement, the literature on gender discrimination on the labor market has encountered a fundamental difficulty. The reason being uh, most of the study at that time uses um, data from developed economies. They use um, the realized worker and employer match data, meaning uh, we observe individuals work in a particular job for a particular company and compare male and female, essentially compare male and female and uh, do all kinds of econometric like, uh, treatment so that uh, arguing uh, they're similar, like a way of comparing two individuals, they are all the same except for their gender. So that kind of methodology has a problem of we can only control for whatever is observed by econometrician. So people will doubt the validity of that comparison. For example, if female on average earns uh, 20% less than male, then uh, the argument is there exists unobserved ability difference. So uh, that ability difference is not reflected in the data. So it, there is alternative explanation for this 20% uh, wage difference. So that is uh, the, what the literature uh, was before we started to look at the job posting data. So in this paper, uh, you study what happens in this uh, like job posting data, uh, which you take from an internet uh, job board uh, in China, in which a ban is introduced that 
explicit render request are not possible anymore. Could you start by describing the characteristics of this internet job board? Uh, this is a dominant player in that uh, city that we are studying. Uh, it's a shaman. It's a coastal city uh, very close to Taiwan, subtropical and economically developed uh, relative to other regions in China. Uh, so it uh, relies on this uh, online job board to attract workers within China to come to that city. So that city is 60% of workers are um, migrants from other places of the country. 50% of the population is are migrants. That board was uh, um, closely related to the local uh, personnel bureaucracy. So to facilitate uh, the getting all the workers to the city to support the economy. It's uh, it's managed uh, very carefully comparing to um, some of the other boards that I have been looking at. So all the employers and workers, uh, they need to um, get their credentials or registrations documents to be able to register on the platforms. That's basically looking at the white color jobs. There is another platform uh, targeting the blue color jobs on the market. So there, the the potential employers uh, post uh, the ads, and then potential employees they just they search through the ads, and then they apply uh, for the for the jobs uh, through the job board. And is that the way it works? Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Um, the the employers have an account. Usually, they pay for any fee, and they can post the jobs, and they can update it, like do the things you might imagine. And then, uh, potential um workers, uh, when they looking for jobs, uh, they also register, and they can search and then apply. By the at the time of our study period. There is no sophisticated algorithm. So, you know, a lot of uh, the job boards in developed economies, they have this uh, sophisticated recommendation algorithms, which will um, complicate uh, the, the observed behavior, how we model that. But in this particular platform, we, uh, we work with this platform for years, since 2010, yeah, like 30 years now. We, are, we know very well about uh, their data and their functionality, yeah. Uh, and these like explicit gender requests, uh, how did they work? Like for instance, if I was a potential employer, would I write, I have this job for a pilot, uh, they need to have passed, uh, you know, have got a degree from pilot school and then women need not apply. That's, that's the way that these requests were taking place what we usually call structural data and unstructural data. By structural data, it's like uh, uh, the wage, there's just a number, uh, and then education, it's a, it's a menu you select which education you ask for, and the gender is uh, like that. This You select from a drop-down menu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in terms of the gender, there's uh, three options, no requirement, male, female, simple as that. 
so again from a drop down menu that is that's it's like a as as you say a structured part of the of my job posting that I need to mm -hmm. select one of these three options yeah 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 so when was this banned and why was this banned it's 2019 uh, march the 1st you know uh, march the 8th is a women's day this happens the the ban there's so far I heard nothing about the motivation from the government side. There, there is no official regulations state start from that date. This ban will start. It's it's all um, my. The story comes uh, that Friday afternoon. I was in my office, and the engineer of the platform contacted me through WeChat. Say, Kaling. Uh, um, uh, I know you have been using our platform to study gender discrimination, but now we got uh, this note uh, saying uh, we should not have the gender requirement information posted. So what we are going to do, we are going just to cover that bit of information on our website. So we, uh, we, I'm wondering whether you still want to use our platform to study gender because it's no longer there, right? So that's uh, uh, what happened on that, uh, the day before they um, banned the gender requirement. So can you, if you're going to study the, the effect of this ban, you need obviously like a, a, a sample, uh, typically it's going to be a sample of job ads, can you tell us how you construct this uh, study sample to run your regressions later? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually ask uh, the engineers of the platform to extract data four times. So on the day, just before the ban, when I got the call, I asked them immediately to give me all the job postings that has this word uh, male or female in the job description. Um, I mean, this paragraph, usually this is called unstructured data. So, um, so that's the first uh, data extraction because I worried even if they uh, omit this uh, gender requirement on the top, of the posting, there's still some of the postings in the description part still has the gender requirement um, that will affect the people's behavior. So uh, that later on, we are going to uh, need that. So that's the first one. And the second one is in March, just a, a week after this ban, I asked them to give me all the job applications from January 1st, 2018, up to that moment, uh, one week, about one week after the ban. And that's all the applications. So each application is from one worker to one job. So also all the workers and the jobs related to that application. And each job also related to a company. So information about this company as well. Uh, so that is four data sets, application, workers, jobs, firms, right? And in a simplified way to think about this. Uh, as a matter of fact, each worker has more than one data. 
so that's the one. And then we uh, ask again in April, and then we ask again in October. So that's three times um, any new applications and related workers and jobs and firms. That's the data extraction. Yeah. So can you now uh, tell us what type of empirical strategy you have to study the effects of this ban? So simple way to answer this question is uh, we use uh, diff and diff, difference in difference. So we just uh, compare, right? So there's two, two approach. Uh, in our main text, we compare outcome variables before the ban and after the ban. And in our online appendix, we also supplement that methodology with uh, uh, comparing 2019 before and after ban versus 2018 before and after a pseudoban. By pseudoban, I mean if there is such a ban in 2018, we predict the date relative to the spring festival. Like, uh, yeah, uh, there is uh, pros and cons of both methodology. Um, but the results are quite robust. Let me see whether I, I can describe the way that you create your data sets and the regressions that you run on them. So you say that you have two types of things, one of them which is like in the main body and the other one that, that you have in the appendix. Let me start with the one in the main body. So you have a sample of job ads that had already been posted prior to February of 2019. 2019 is the time at which the ban takes place. Okay, so these ads had already some type of gender requirement. It could be F, M, or neither, right? But the employer mm -hmm. still had to, cho to choose that, okay? Mm -hmm. And on this uh, sample of ads that had started already before 2019, you just, just follow them over time and you see week by week or day by day, whatever it is, the number of applications that they receive either from male applicants or from female applicants, correct? Yeah. And of course, after 2019, the information about the gender requirement disappears, right? So so, so the idea is to see, well, on this, on this ad that had a female requirement, is it more likely that males will apply for it after February 2019 relative to before 2019? The idea being that if that is the case, then maybe that ban had an effect on the type of applications. Am I describing it correctly? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, um, that's just broadly what we did. Okay, so you, you, you follow the same ad over time, uh, mm -hmm. and this ad can belong to either the F, the M, or the N category, female, male, or neither, and you see mm -hmm. how the percentage of male versus female applicants vary potentially discontinuously at the time of the ban. Exactly. So uh, that's, that's with respect to the first part, the appendix a robustness exercise or additional strategy. Let me, let me leave it for later. Let me ask you with respect to this first part. So one thing that, that I thought, uh, and maybe this is what you mean by there are pros and cons with either of these two approaches, is that I don't have that much experience applying for jobs. 
but uh, I have a bit more of experience uh, applying or, or or following, you know, houses in the in the housing market, right? And one thing that I believe that is true is that people follow the same type of ad uh, over time, right? That is, it's not. This is not like buying a, a plane ticket in which you typically buy it on the same day that you search for it. It's a situation in which you look at it and then you think, am I appropriate for it? Let me think. Let me consult with my spouse. Would that be a good career move or not? You know, like the lag between seeing an ad for the first time and actually applying for it may not be, you know, incredibly short. Okay, It can be a couple of weeks or, or, or maybe a month or something. So this means that if I have been looking at an ad throughout, mm-hmm. let's say, January 2019, I am already aware of the fact that this ad has been asking for, for say, female applicants, you know, let's say that I'm male. I have not got around to considering, but now the fact that the request disappears may not make me particularly more likely to apply for it because, because that information has not necessarily disappeared from my mind. This is not going to affect me to the same extent that encountering a new ad in, say, July of 2019 would, because that is the, the immediate effects of the ban may not be the same as, at least the way that you are analyzing them in your, in your sample, may not be the same ones as the ultimate effects of the ban once no information whatsoever is, is revealed about a particular job ad. So let me summarize what I, how I understand your question. So the ban happened at a specific time. We um, use the behavior change, application behavior change, as an impact of the ban. But application uh, could happen uh, with a time lag when the individual looking at and choosing which one to apply. So at the time they looking and choosing, they might already see the gender preference. So we can't take literally applications made after the ban as if the individual made that decision without knowledge of the gender preference. That's right. Yes, broadly speaking, that's what I mean, yes. Okay, okay, yeah. We don't have the data of when they first know the band, right? That's the thing. We we only know when they apply for the jobs. And uh, if this is affecting the behavior, it's a significant uh, impact on in the market, then the consequence would be the further away from the band date, it's less likely for individual who made the application know what the gender preference this job ad was, right? One week, two week. So we should see the impact from the data to become more and more salient. But that is not what we see. We basically see an overnight difference, uh, like change, and it's very stable. So that's one from the empirical evidence side. And another uh, background information to understand this issue is 
March the 1st is about two, two to three weeks uh, after uh, people start to work after spring festival holiday. So just like a Christmas, probably more than Christmas uh, for Chinese, a spring festival is the time you go back to your hometown and the labor market basically shut down. And then it doesn't make sense for individuals to uh, remember before the spring festival what this job is because when firms resume and they come back, the, the market quickly goes up. We look at the postings by date and applications. So that is a, a seasonality issue that we worried a lot. Uh, we are being very, very careful to take account of that seasonality issue. Yeah, so that remembering what this job's gender preference is in that specific context might not be that uh, big an issue. So what are the like baseline findings that you have in, in looking at the effect of this ban with this type of strategy? I think three things. First, the ban is very effective, immediately have this integration uh, effect. Much more female apply to male jobs and get a callback, and much more male apply to female jobs and got callbacks. That's the first thing. The second thing is this asymmetric effect, which uh, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to understand. By asymmetric, I mean, uh, seems male enters into female jobs much more, twice as much than female enters male jobs. So that's the second one, asymmetric. Third, which is theoretically and uh, from policy point of view, very important is this ban does not has efficiency cost. Why this is important? Because the ban, the nature of that is prohibiting market participants to fully convey information in these transactions. So they are not allowed to say something. Uh, in general principle, in intuition, uh, this kind of uh, intervention could have uh, side effects, right? Although you're talking about uh, equity issues, but it could uh, reduce efficiency on the market from all kinds of uh, symptoms. For example, firm take longer for firm to get a worker for workers to have to apply more or they discouraged. But uh, we worried a lot uh, when we're trying to evaluate, but we find nothing. Um, basically says, no, it, it, if trust the data to the decimal, it actually improves the match quality a little tiny bit. So that's a three point. Yeah. So I'm going to repeat them here and comment on them sequentially. So the first one is, you said, you know, there is like a, an integration effect in that now there are more men applying for jobs that previously had the, the female gender request and vice versa, women applying for jobs that had the, um, the previous explicitly male request. That by itself, I presume, is not surprising, right? Like, like if you, you know, if you stop asking for something, then people who 
don't meet the condition are more likely to apply, correct? That, you know, that, that first bit mm -hmm. is, isn't surprising, no? Like, the second thing that you said was, oh, but this effect is asymmetric. Women don't start applying more for male, previously male jobs, or at least not as much, whereas the biggest reaction is on men who start applying in droves to jobs that had the, the previous a female request. And you say that you spend a lot of time interrogating as to why that might be the case. What do you do to study this? And why, what conclusions do you reach with respect to this asymmetry? For that, we look at the job titles, this text, short text um, data, like uh, high school English teacher, for example, if we talk about in the English context. So uh, this is a, a language. Uh, we, oh, we hired three research assistants uh, to categorize and clean the noise uh, job titles. Uh, 15, around 15,000 job titles. And then we we try to understand at the titles level which job title contribute to uh, what extent to this uh, integrating effect. So that, that that took a long time, and uh, also we look at so because title itself you can't interpret like one title or another title. Then we look at so we have this. Uh, basic understanding that is uh, female jobs are less specialized and male jobs are very specialized. So we look at, uh, for example, female jobs, a lot of them is HR, administrative, uh, front desk, or combination, different combination of those kinds of things. And male jobs um, is consistent with this uh, city we are looking at. A lot of them say drivers, uh, drivers for CEO, driver for chairperson, drivers for this and that, and also the masters of uh, all these detailed manufacturing jobs. And then we get the broad understanding is even if those male jobs drop their gender requirements, probably females cannot overnight have that qualification. But female jobs, say front desk or kind of HR admin, seems to not have that threshold. So that is the kind of understanding we have at this point, is that to deal with gender discrimination or gender wage gap in the labor market, just by dropping the gender requirements might not do 100% of the job because you do need females, in this case, from our data, to have that kind of skills required for male jobs. It takes time, take investment. That leads us to suspect the long-term effect of this ban could be even stronger for female than the short-term effect. I mean, I take your general point that if there is some other type of necessary qualification that is typically associated with the jobs that used to require men, 
then overnight women are not going to have this qualification. Therefore, the effect of the ban, at least in the short term, is going to be smaller. Now, the the examples that you gave, I, I want to interrogate them a little bit more. Okay, so you said female jobs are administrative, let's say on HR, whereas male jobs are, say, drivers. Now, I, I don't know what you mean by driver. If if what you mean is like a truck driver, that's that's a type of unusual uh, qualification that overnight people are not going to have. If you are talking about the, being the driver of a CEO or being, you know, the, the driver of a single individual, then I presume that China is not Saudi Arabia. I presume that in China, a lot of women have driving licenses, right? In fact, probably either at the same level or at a very similar level to that of men. So that wouldn't be necessarily like a, a big barrier. On the other hand, I can imagine that for certain administrative jobs, qualifications are very important as well. Maybe if we are going to hire you to be an accountant, I'm just giving an ex extreme example here, you need to be chartered, right? You need to be recognized by a professional association. So I don't know whether this is that you did not quite choose the example particular like like particular well or maybe maybe the existence of the qualifications is itself endogenous to create to the creation of additional gender barriers, you know? Like if you if you had told me, mm -hmm. okay, well, there are some jobs that require, let's say, upper body strength, you know, uh, then I will see that there, there is like a, a, a physical, I wouldn't say barrier, but at least, you know, uh, it is typically the case that men have more upper body strength than, than women. That's just a, you know, that's just a, a fact on average, of course. But these qualifications can be, can themselves be endogenous, you know, and it's not super clear that, that they are necessarily barriers. Let me respond by two points. First, about drivers specifically. I use this example while not uh, so fit for this context, but I still want to talk about drivers because uh, not just the, our study, but there is a study using Uber drivers data finds uh, females are not uh, uh, concerned potentially about their safety. Uh, the drivers for the chairperson, that kind of the job in the Chinese context probably means uh, traveling around uh, with this mostly male uh, manager, which could most females might not feel comfortable to do that. This is empirically what we find. Probably we should design that kind of the job more uh, female friendly for someone. Uh, so that's one about drivers. Uh, this uh, data we find a lot of the, the drivers' jobs uh, is very hard for male or female to enter. A second, uh, a better example, for example, uh, uh, this manufacturing. Uh, there's a uh, there's a computer numerical control machine programmer and civil construction workers, mechanical electrician. So this kind of very, they probably, uh, female can get qualified. It's not that sophisticated, right? It can, but at uh, overnight, uh, that jobs 
mind, because they mostly are male doing those jobs, the working time arrangement, all kinds of maybe even don't have a female toilets. Uh, so th th there are things there that could potentially deter females that cannot be solved by this ban. Uh, did I address your question? Uh, yes, I mean, I, 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 I just wanted to establish that your definition of what is like a typically male job or a typically female job is uh, empirical, let's say, uh, in mm. that you, you, you look at the data and you say, mm. okay, well, this job, you know, it is typically the case that a lot of men have it, so therefore we're going to call it a male job. Uh, that's probably the right thing to do. Of course, I'm not. I, I'm not criticizing it, but you know, without being an expert in China, one thing that I seem to remember is that whenever there are uh, photographs of some type of convention of communist party leaders, you have like an enormous room uh, full of men, right? There are barely any women there. Now, I wouldn't say that being a woman is physically an impediment to be, you know, a communist leader or a leader of any other type, right? Clearly, this is some type of societal, there is a, a, some type of societal barrier or discrimination or what, whatever you want to call it that has nothing to do with the physiology of the, you know. But that would be some a type of job that you will describe in your, in your sample of, as typically male for reasons that are not necessarily physi physiological. That's, that's everything I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I thank you. Yeah, that the 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 way I I talk about this kind of the job, a male film, it's it's all empirical from the data. We look at what's the share of male get the callback, what's the share of female got the callback. That's that's what I meant to say. So the the other the last thing that you said is oh, this increase in applications in like a cross-gender applications, if you want to call it that way, is not at the expense of quality. So I, I was wondering whether you could uh, tell us how you measure the quality of the match, uh, because obviously there's, go there's gonna be a little bit contentious in that you have to make some choices about, about this type of measurement. How do you know that something was a good match versus a bad match or, uh, or that the outcome for the company was good versus bad and so on? Oh, for that, we had, we are very lucky because uh, we got another team in the university in Xiamen. They develop this match score between a job and an applicant. But when they develop it, it's not for, the, for our study. It's for them to preparing to have a recommendation system. So when you recommend, you need to have that kind of measure. So they developed in 2018. Uh, and then uh, it's there. So we took it, but then we also validate it. We say, okay, if this is the measure, the, the score of the pair, jobs and workers, a valid, a quality measure should be the higher the score, the more likely this person get a callback. So we uh, we we uh, we validate and it's passed over. Yeah, it's highly highly significant. Uh, so that is uh, how we um, measure 
the match quality in this study. So throughout we have been talking about uh, applications, but you know we haven't explicitly mentioned uh, in much detail what happens with the actual uh, callbacks, okay, which is like the response of the employer to the application. You cannot, I think that you cannot study from your uh, job board data whether the employee actually gives the job uh, to the worker or not, but you can at least uh, measure whether there is a callback, mm -hmm. whether they are invited for an interview or, or something like that. Uh, what happens there? So one, one response would be, okay, well, we have all these male applying to female jobs, but none of them get called back. Uh, and and this and vice versa, they were the other way around. What happens with callbacks? Mm. Yeah. So in terms of this callback, uh, you're right. Um, our data is uh, only from the platforms. We only observe uh, whether and the exact time the company through the platform contact the applicants. That itself is not, if we look at it rigorously, it's not equal to match, right? Realized match. So to solve the problem, we did some creative thing. So because we know the timing, person A applied multiple times, each application has a timestamp. And then we say, if this person's application stopped for a long period, probably the application just before that stop is successful. But we can alternatively say, maybe not all the application before that pause is successful. Only those, it gets a callback. So, yeah. So that is the, the idea. So, but then how long it, we can call it as a pause? We experiment or we, with uh, different values, uh, did all kinds of, uh, and then how long before that pause uh, the application or callbacks can be regarded as successful? We also did um, kind of a great search. We, we did uh, all kinds of parameters, but the result is just uh, very robust. Uh, from that exercise, uh, we uh, the results are also similar to when we adjusted using callbacks. So um, that exercise itself is meant to uh, examine whether our callbacks is indeed a, a proxy for application success. Is there any other result of this one that uh, that I haven't asked you about that we haven't mentioned? Oh, another one I find it very, very interesting is we asked the question in one of the appendix, we asked the question, how this effect of the ban come about? Is this ban lead to behavior change of existing participants? of the market or attracting new participants because workers now sees there's less restrictions. They uh, originally might be discouraged or not interested to search. Now they start to search. So uh, we, we did that exercise. It's a table uh, in uh, appendix 14. We find 
the effect mostly uh, driven by uh, existing current uh, participants on the market, the job seekers, uh, rather than uh, reactivating uh, job search of uh, workers who are not on the market in the first place. So that's uh, before this result, as a labor economist, uh, we really have no idea uh, how this could actually happen because uh, job search, uh, this pool of workers and jobs is very dynamic, right? It's people coming and they leave, coming and leave. Wonderful. Thank you, Kylie, for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for other future or past episodes that you may also enjoy. Introductory music and logo by Atana Glenesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>